0: Today on Ag News Daily.
1: So what we do is we bury the sensors below the till depth and we've developed this proprietary wireless underground system, we call it the WUGS, that allows us to get information year round in a permanent install, even in field crops.
0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It's Ashton Carr on the podcast today with Mike Pearson and Delaney Howell. Delaney, how's things going on in your part of the world? It is going pretty good, Ashton. I tell you what, how are things down there in Texas? It's a little bit of a slow day today, not a whole lot going on. It's another beautiful day, not a cloud in the sky from what it looks like sitting here at my desk. What about you, Mike?
2: You know, I am also having a bit of a slow day, but I tell you what, I had a fun night last night, had the chance to go up to Independence to visit with Conrad Smith, Michelle Giger, Calvin Vogel, just a lot of great ag Twitter people at a podcast get-together. So that was a lot of fun. I had the chance to get up there, mingle with folks. And, uh, you know, everybody had been hit differently by the storm. And it was just neat to kind of hear an update on what is happening around the country for, uh, for a lot of these folks. And really one of the big concerns is dryness.
3: Really? I am surprised by that, actually, a little bit.
2: I know, you know, it's one of those things that hasn't really captured headlines, certainly not since the derecho came through, but a lot of places are in need of a drink, perhaps not drought issues quite yet, but definitely as these pods are filling, a lot of folks are out there hoping we get some widespread rainfalls across the Corn Belt here in the short term.
3: Well, Mike, speaking of weather conditions and dryness or rather wetness across some of these states, we saw the crop conditions report, of course, come out yesterday. It is no surprise, I believe, that crop conditions for corn went down just a little bit as 69% were rated just good to excellent down down from 71% the week prior. Most notably, though, Iowa's corn condition ratings dropped 10 percentage points from the week prior. Soybeans also dropped to now just 72% good to excellence, good to excellent, excuse me there, and 74% was what we came in at last week. So down just slightly overall for corn and soybeans, but Iowa is really the big loser, if you want to call it that, dropping 10 percentage points, which I think comes as no surprise after last week's storm.
2: Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And I think watching the trade today, they were anticipating a little bit worse conditions. I know that 68% is where the trade average was on the corn crop. So I think they were a little surprised to only see it come down to what it did. But yeah, the Iowa drop is certainly It's got to be one of the biggest, and Mm -hmm. I haven't crunched all the numbers looking back, but this, from a week-to-week drop, 10 percentage points, I think, and I don't want to talk out of school. Certainly one of the biggest. We'll just leave it at that. I don't know if it is the biggest uh, drop in history, but it's certainly one of them to happen on a week-to-week basis.
3: Yep, absolutely. So uh, what else are you guys watching today for news?
2: Well, actually, while we're talking to Rachel, Reuters has done a headcount of damage in Iowa, looking just at commercial storage. So one of the things that I think even our listeners outside the Midwest have seen as as coverage about this event continues to expand is that so much grain storage was damaged by this wind. Uh, Lots and lots of private elevators. I was talking to some folks who were saying that really across the area that had wind, very few people. With uh, with storage, escaped unscathed, and uh, this certainly backs that up. As of right now, Reuters says 57 million bushels of commercial grain storage has been knocked out of commission by these storms. Now, a number, or at least a percentage of those, will probably be minor repairs that can be done before harvest. But for some of these larger setups, you know, they're looking at a year of of dismantling. And then rebuilding. So, come harvest time, this could be a year we see a lot of grain piled on the ground.
3: Yeah, I mean, not only are farmers dealing with storage issues, but also at the cooperative or elevator level. I know back around our area here, there's a mid Iowa co op has had quite a bit of damage and is already starting to rebuild, but it's, I think, unlikely that they would be back at full storage capacity come harvest here.
2: Yeah. And so for this week in agribusiness, this last weekend, we talked to Mike Kinley, who is the CEO Mm. of Mid Iowa Co-op. And he said that, you know, this was a, a terrible event. A number of their locations were impacted by this storm, but they were planning on making some changes this year anyway. So they were planning on having more ground storage than ever before. And he goes, you know, that's the plus side is we're, they were at least preparing for Things to be a little different come harvest. Now it's just much more different. But yeah, they are out there, you know, picking up sticks, picking up, uh, you know, roofs and entire bins and trying to get construction underway so they can be ready as soon as possible, even if harvest is going to be a challenge in some locations.
3: Absolutely. Well, Ashton, what news are you watching today? Well, I don't know if you would consider this news,
0: but I follow an Instagram account called Good 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 Co. And they share good news stories because I think that news headlines can be a little bit um, negative these days. And so when I saw this, I was like, I think that I have to share this on the podcast. But they made a post about beer not sold during lockdown in Australia being turned into renewable energy and their caption said that when Australia went into lockdown in March, bars had unsold expired beer inventory, and instead of it going to waste, they created energy. And the addition of 150,000 liters of beer per week created enough energy to power 1,200 homes. And from what it sounds like is that they use the unused beer to go to a wastewater treatment plant where it was mixed with sewage to produce bio gas, which of course has then turned into electricity. And so I thought it was pretty interesting. And I might just have to further look into this and see if anyone around the U.S. is doing something similar.
2: Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody is.
0: Absolutely. Well, Mike, do you have any other news headlines you're following today?
2: You know, just a quick one. Uh, we have seen now 10 days of flash sales reports by the USDA indicating that uh, private exporters have sold more than 100,000 tons of grain, and a lot of that grain has been purchased by China. Well, it was announced earlier today that the chief accountant for the Chinese state grain trader, uh, this is COFCO, K- excuse me, C-O-F-C-O, is under investigation. Uh, the, the person's name is Lu Jimei who joined uh, a in 2018 and they are under investigation for what they call quote grave discipline and law violations and uh that's according to China's Central Commission for Discipline Inspection, which is uh, their top anti-corruption watchdog. So I don't know what this is going to do. I think as time goes on, those charges will be probably more released, though it is China. They don't uh, do criminal justice quite the way we do. So it'll be interesting to see what comes out of all this and exactly you know what kind of shenanigans uh, this fellow's been up to over there at Costco.
3: Yeah, and to follow up on that, Mike, as you mentioned, we've seen a lot of Chinese purchases lately. And because of that, President Trump has expressed new satisfaction with the phase one trade deal. He said, quote, we are f- we were unfairly treated by China because they could have stopped it, end quote. He said that over the weekend in reference to the COVID-19 pandemic, but he did go on to say that he was pleased at least on the trade front and highlighted a few of those flash sales mentioned there. You know, again, I think this lends itself to suggest with that meeting being, I think now postponed, I believe it was supposed to happen this week for that phase one kind of come together if you will but i think it really does suggest that there is something going on behind closed doors uh you know president trump issuing that statement seems pretty supportive of the phase one trade deal especially since he's suggesting that china is coming to the buying table and he's more than happy with it it sounds like
2: well you know i i hope he stays that way i hope we can continue shipping a uh corn and soybeans and sorghum over to china hopefully they will follow through on their purchases and actually get these uh, products shipped and yeah we'll just have to see where things go because we know president trump can be uh, a little bit mercurial when it comes to china and uh, can kind of change his opinion in a heartbeat
3: he can he can
2: well ashton do you have any other headlines that uh, we need to talk about before we jump into the markets
0: i don't i'm all out
2: all right, well, I just have one final uh, obituary to read. The oldest apple tree in the Pacific Northwest, of course, that is the largest apple-producing region of the country, has died. It was 194 years old. It is uh, it, it died, quote, surrounded by its offshoots. And they say that the multi-billion dollar fruit industry in Washington began with this tree. Oh, a little bit of a sad news for you there on this Tuesday.
3: Oh, well, that is sad. Yeah, but you know, that apple
2: wood, I'm sure will go to smoke some fine hams.
3: It certainly will.
2: Well, let's take a look at the markets. We did have a down day today in the grain markets. A little bit of a turnaround Tuesday here. September corn down four cents at 327 even. December down three and a half. Closed at 341 and a quarter. Soybean September contract down a penny at nine eleven and a half. and a half. November down two cents. Closed at 913 and a quarter. Over in the wheat pit, Chicago September down nine and a quarter at 507 and a quarter. December down eight and three quarters. Closed the day at 517 and a half. Looking over at Livestock mixed trade in the cattle complex. October live cattle unchanged on the day at one zero nine eighty seven fifty. December up thirty seven and a half cents, closed at one twelve ninety five. And feeder cattle attempting to rally back some of yesterday's losses. The September contract was up a dollar twenty at one forty five sixty. October up a dollar seventeen and a half, closing at one forty six thirty seven fifty. And lean hogs weakness in the lean hog market, the October contract down two dollars ten cents at fifty one forty two fifty. December down a dollar seventy seven and a half, closing at 53, 17 and a half. Looking over at the dairy market in class three milk, the August contract down a penny at nineteen forty-eight, with the September dropping forty-eight cents to close at fifteen ninety-two. This has been a heck of a swing in dairy prices over the past six months. Well, folks, it is hashtag Tech Tuesday, so let's talk irrigation.
0: Today on the podcast, we have Patrick Henry, CEO of Grow Guru, on to talk to us today for our Hashtag Tech Tuesday segment. Patrick, thanks so much for coming on the podcast.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me, Ashton.
0: So for our first question, why don't you just give us a 10,000 foot look at what Grow Guru, sorry, that was a little bit of a mouthful for me. What do you guys do?
1: Yeah, just don't try to say it five times fast. (laughs) So uh, Guru is all about strategic irrigation management. We help farmers make more money by increasing crop yield and more efficiently using water and other scarce resources in a more sustainable way. So let's talk a little bit about how you go about
2: doing that. A vast majority of irrigation in this country is center pivots or the like. You guys are doing things a little bit differently. What is the Guru system?
1: Yeah, so we actually use the existing uh, irrigation system in place, whether it's uh, sprinkler, drip, or center pivot. Uh, the vast majority, as as you mentioned, in uh, broadacre row crops or annual field crops, is center pivot irrigation. Although there is, there is uh, more and more subsurface drip out there as well. What we're doing is helping to manage that system and process, not through the control system. We partner with the control guys. We do monitoring. And we do that using soil sensors that we put in the ground uh, that connects to telemetry that gets that proprietary data stream to the cloud where we apply machine learning and then add some additional information around you know, things like weather and yeah, pivot irrigation information and then make recommendations to farmers about when and how much to irrigate over a very simple, intuitive, farmer-friendly uh, user interface that they can access on there. Uh, mobile phone, uh, tablet, or their computer.
3: Tell me a little bit more about this user interface that they can access on their phone or computer. What am I able to do on there and how does that work?
1: Yeah, so one of the most interesting things that versus our competitive alternatives is we have a solution that's a permanent install in annual field crops. So if you look at... um, pretty much all the competitive alternatives that are out there, they are required to uh, be annually installed and removed. Uh, so the basic current model is, you know, four weeks, within four weeks of crop emergence, you get the sensors in the ground, then you go through multiple wetting cycles, and you can calibrate the sensors. Then four weeks prior to harvest, you got to get them out of the ground because you can't have anything in the field uh, during uh, the, either the, the seeding or the harvest period. So what we do is we bury the sensors below the till depth and we've developed this proprietary wireless underground system, we call it the WUGS, that allows us to get information year round in a permanent install, even in field crops. So that proprietary data stream um, gives us information about uh, the root zone, the root depth, um, soil type, um, how much water is available at various elements in the soil, and we apply machine learning to that to give information to farmers about um, basically is, is the crop in a good situation or a bad situation and what they can do to help uh, remedy that. So I think
2: there's a lot to talk about there when, when we think about what all can be controlled when it comes to irrigation. But I think a lot of our listeners who are crop producers are intrigued. How does the installation work if it's permanent around other you know, field work, whether it's tillage, whether it's planting and harvest? How do you, uh, how do you install these things so that uh, farm work can proceed around them?
1: Yeah. So the fact that we're doing um, permanent install with a five-year battery life on the, um, the, the sensor system it's basically farmers can just farm over the top. So most of the, the, the farmers that we're selling to today uh, use no-till or kind of a strip-till operation. They're not doing aggressive kind of 18-inch till. And more and more farmers, because of sustainability and crop health and, and soil health, they're moving to these kind of no-till, uh, limited-till practices. So that's more and more in the market over time. But typically we're burying the soil sensors, um, you know, call it nine to 12 inches deep. And basically, that uh, wireless underground system that we've developed, it's it's now patented. We got a patent on that uh, last year, and we've got multiple other patents pending around various aspects of that technology. But that allows us to get information out of the ground without cables. So the competitive alternatives all cable from the sensors in the ground to the above-ground telemetry, and that's why they need to be annually installed and removed. So two big benefits. Well, one is, you know, you lower the total cost of ownership because you only have to install once every five years and you do it during the six month fallow season when there's not crop in the ground. So, um, you know, obviously labor is most scarce around the time of seeding and harvest, but it also gives you about a 30x improvement in scalability and year round data. So a uh, big, big improvement for farmers versus the, the way they've been doing it traditionally.
3: So Patrick, tell me a little bit more, once they decide maybe this is a good fit for them, they need some sort of irrigation system like this, do you guys come in then and install that or or bury that, so to speak, for the farmers?
1: Yeah, we're typically piggybacking off of the existing irrigation system and the existing irrigation control system. Now, all the big center pivot guys, you know, Valley, Lindsay, Ranky, they have their own control systems, but there's also third party control systems from guys like Pivot Track, FieldWise, and, and others. So we just use the existing control systems in place. But what we're doing is we're doing the remote monitoring and then tying into that control system, and the farmer basically can use the information that we provide them to make better irrigation decisions.
2: Now, I think one of the things that folks are probably asking themselves is: if you are thinking about implementing a Grow Guru setup, how would you go about measuring the return on investment? Are you predominantly looking at savings, be it electricity or diesel, in running the irrigator? Are you looking at uh, increased crop performance? Combination of the two? How do you guys make that uh, calculation for folks?
1: Well, the the good news is that soil moisture sensors have been around for quite some time. Call it over a decade, and been used, you know, pretty significantly. And field crops for maybe the last seven or eight years. So, most of the farmers that we're selling to are already using soil sensors, even though that's only you know, 10, 12% of the overall market. And we don't have to sell them on the value of soil sensors. They already see that. They're getting the, the 10 to 20% improvement in crop yield and the 10 to 20% savings on input costs. But what we're doing is we're like the 2.0 version of that. By providing permanent install, we can even make it better and the system gets better over time because of the machine learning. So there's all this kind of great case study information out there about soil sensors. So farmers are seeing that as kind of the baseline return, but then they're getting all the incremental benefits of the permanent install on top of that.
3: Interesting. That, that makes sense. And, and uh, it's interesting to talk a little bit more about how this works. But when you look at irrigation in general, we talk to you know, folks all over the country. And one of the concerns is that at some point, perhaps water will be a resource that people might be buying ground or, or fighting over. How do you see that problem combining with what you guys do as irrigation systems?
1: I mean, it's, it's already happening. It's already happening in the U.S. and globally. Um, you know, kind of the, the really big picture, as you guys know, you have too many people, not enough food, not enough water, and the problem is just going to get worse over time. And um, a big area that's kind of a, a target for us is the Western Corn Belt. So if you look at kind of from the Texas panhandle up through Western Kansas, Western Nebraska, Eastern Colorado, really all the way up to the Dakotas, um, most of that, uh, farmland is irrigated off of an underground lake uh, called the Agalala Aquifer. And it has a limited amount of water. And the you know, you're kind of on this fixed water budget. Uh, so you got to kind of make the most out of having that limited amount of water and get the back some crop yield with what you have available. And a big part of that, as it turns out, is that a number of these farmers may use 20%, 25% of their irrigation budget before they actually even put crop in the ground. And with the annual install removal model, they're flying completely blind during that period of time. With the permitted install, you're able to measure that and um, you know, measure the winter snow melt, measure a lot of different things that you couldn't do without a permitted install.
2: Absolutely. And now I think one of the things that is on a lot of growers' minds this year, we are seeing challenging farm economics prices are down. Talk us through a little bit of the cost for folks looking at making this type of permanent adaptation to their farm, what should they expect to spend and how do you guys price it out?
1: Yeah, it's really it's really interesting. I mean, as, as I've gotten more familiar with the farming industry and you know agriculture industry, as you guys have barely been in in a long time, you know, you might have out of ten years, you know, three good years and one really good year. So farming is hard. I mean, it's really a tough, a tough business. And last year, the farmers, you know, had the issues with the tariffs and with the weather. This year, with the pandemic and with commodity prices. So there always just seems to be, you know, a number of challenges um, in in this environment. So any solution you bring to the table has to be obviously very cost effective and solve a big problem. And nothing is more important for maximizing crop yield and crop quality than than irrigation. So what we do is we currently sell the hardware and we have an annual subscription. Longer term, we'll have a subscription only model. Uh, But farmers are typically installing one sensing location every, call it 120 to 150 acres. I think over time, they'll install more as they go to kind of variable rate and variable speed irrigation. But um, we're less than $10 per acre per year, Uh, as you amortize that hardware over the five-year life of the product. So it's the payback period is less than one growing season, uh, even in commodity crops like corn and soybeans.
0: Well, Patrick, this has certainly been an interesting topic to discuss. Love learning about soil technology and irrigation, especially being in Lubbock myself, talking about the Ogallala Aquifer and all that fun stuff. But where can our listeners find you guys online? What is your website, and do you have any social media they can follow you on?
1: Sure, yeah, we're um, we can be found at www.growguru, and that's G R O. G U R U dot We're on social media on, on Facebook. You can find us under Grow Guru, uh, Twitter under My MyGrowGuru, at My MyGrowGuru, and then on uh, LinkedIn under GrowGuru as well. We're GrowGuru Incorporated. Um, and we are pretty active on social media. We do a lot of blogging, a lot of video, uh, try to give back as much as we possibly can, uh, even though we're a small company. Uh, that, that's really important for us to. To take care of our farmers, we think that uh, protection of the global supply chain and the US supply chain for food is one of the most strategic resources we have.
0: Absolutely. Well, Patrick, thanks again for coming on the podcast today.
1: Thank you. Appreciate it, guys.
3: Well, again, a big thank you there to Patrick. Interesting stuff they are working on over there at Go Guru. I tell you what.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's very cool. And folks, if you want to hear of other cool technology in the world of agriculture, check out our past Tuesday episodes. You can visit them all on our website at agnewsdaily.com and connect with other podcasts on the Global Ag Network. With that, Ashton, should we let the people go?
0: Let's let them go.